Welcome to the Scariest Things Podcast, your gateway to the trends and tropes of the horror genre. Today, live at the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival in sunny Portland, Oregon, at the famed Hollywood Theater, I have the great privilege to be joined by Dr. Rebecca McKendry. And she is the director of Glorious, which we will get a big screen. I've seen it multiple times on the small screen, but this will be the first time I've got to see it uh, pitched on the big Hollywood screen. And uh, also, she did this fabulous presentation for us about what is cosmic horror. So, Dr. McKendry, hello, welcome. Thank you so much for having me on today. And um, one of the things that I wanted to sort of point out is you are a professor of film. I am. At USC. Yeah. The best film uh, school in the entire world. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> we like to think so, but yeah, we're a little biased. Yeah. But um, Don't yeah. tell NYU. <laughs> My husband went there, so yeah, we'll try not to. Or he taught there for a while. But um, yeah, I have been at USC for coming up on, it'll be seven and a half years, I guess, right now. So, All right. Yeah, yeah uh, what it... So what is your syllabus like? What is... It depends on the class. I mean, most of the classes that I teach are kind of just directing. I work almost entirely in the graduate program, mm-hmm. um, at least during the normal semesters. And then I'm teaching directing and production and how mm-hmm. you put scenes together and how you stage things and kind of how you bring a script to life. Um, specifically, my horror class that I teach. Yes. Um, that that one, I divide into three sections. And that, it's, it's a very intensive class. Like, the students meet with me for four hours a week and... Um, twice a week and it's it's a heavy heavy class it's a big one um we make three films by the end of the semester but i divide it into three sections it is the history of horror so we spend Mm -hmm. the first third looking at the entire history of horror from the 19 teens forward Mm -hmm. and then part of it is actual horror production Mm -hmm. like writing scripts and getting them off the ground we make a jump scare um we make a nightmare (laughs) sequence and so they have little projects they do along the way and then the latter third is all about um, specifically working in the horror industry, like following trends, events, festivals, things like that. Usually I'll bring in a lot of guest speakers during that time. Yeah. Oh, if I only had the opportunity to take classes like that when I was young, because my career would have taken a very different path. This is, uh, the, the podcasting and, web, and, and website are a hobby affectation, and uh, so my career as an architect might have gone towards horror film production because that sounds like you know that that is that's the that is like nerdtastic it's always the most rewarding part is i've gotten to q a the opening night premieres for a couple of my students when they've gone on to make features Mm -hmm. and um a few of them now work for um development positions for some of the major horror labels around la and so i love it because i feel like you know i'm seeding the horror people who are going to be the next yes. generation making the films, yeah, coming up. That's so awesome. Uh, so, do, actually, do you have has any have any of your students yet gotten gotten their first feature releases out there? Do you have anybody? A couple you can of mention? them have. Um, I can't I can't mention any by name across uh, off the top of my head, but a few of my students have had features out and have gone to work on major stuff. So, yeah, it's 
it's been it's been remarkable just in the six uh, years that I've been teaching yeah. the horror class there to kind of see mm -hmm. how my students have moved forward with it. Right. And, and now, were you are you part of the DGA as well? I'm not. I'm not DGA. I'm DGC, which okay. is Directors Guild of Canada, and then I'm WGA. Okay. Yeah, and congratulations on that, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, it was a rough summer, y'all. <laughs> it was a real rough summer. But uh, happy with the results? Yeah. No, very much so. That was it. Was a worthy battle. It was definitely there were moments where I was like, oh, this is this is a rough fight. As I'm telling my kids, like, you can't do gymnastics camp this summer. Mom and dad haven't had a pay because my husband's um, screenwriter as well. And it was suddenly like, well, you know, we haven't been paid in four months, guys. So um, it's going to be a light summer. And yeah, so. But it was definitely worth the long, fight. Long-term security now. That's it exactly is. And I have to keep reminding myself of the residual checks I was getting. And that, <laughs> that's why we did this. There is you go. Those 33-cent checks, you know, they weren't paying for gymnastics camp either. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, let's talk a bit about uh, the movie that you were going to present to us. Let's talk about Glorious. Uh, Ryan Quanton and J.K. Simmons. Yeah. Uh, this It's... A, it. it to me, it feels like a stage play in a, in a, on a roadside out, uh, like, uh, restroom, uh, cosmic horror in a bathroom stall. I'll take every single bit of that and own the shit out of it. No, um, <laughs> stage play is, is probably one of the best things to define, you know, kind of my style as because um, both my husband and I come from a theater background, mm -hmm. a very strong theater background. We were doing theater directing long before, um, and I was doing stage choreography long before we switched over to doing film. Mm -hmm. And so even if you watch like our first film, All the Creatures Were Stirring, it's literally set in a black box theater and it's all staged very theatrically. And with Glorious, that was kind of the same conceit of it was that it was almost a stage play. And when... We, um, so we shot it in the height of the pandemic. Like everything was still locked mm -hmm. down. We were still- Everybody's masked. Yeah, everybody was masked. Um, it, we, we had just gotten the first round of vaccines and nobody knew how it was gonna go. Um, so we were still like, I wasn't allowed to be in the same room with our costumer or the makeup people. We were in quadrants on set mm -hmm. and um, you weren't allowed to interact right. in person with anybody outside your quadrant. And, um, but when we first rolled in to Mississippi to shoot it, we had to get there a couple of weeks early so we could all quarantine, but we were quarantining mm -hmm. together. And so what we discovered, the place that we were shooting it had this stage that no one was using because no one was doing theater at the time. Right. So right next to the soundstage we were using was this beautiful theater. And so we mapped out. And you turned it into an outhouse. <laughs> <laughs> we charted out the entire set on the floor of the stage. And Ryan and I spent a week blocking out the entire movie. Oh. And we had reached a point where he could run the entire film blocking from start to finish like a theater production on that stage. What a luxury. It was. I never get rehearsal like that. And we had, um, as much as I bemoan Zoom, I had Zoom rehearsals with JK and Ryan together because mm -hmm. we were aware that because of the restrictions that JK would not be actually on set with us. Was he recording be, in LA? He uh, recorded in LA and that was actually after the pandemic ended. So like I was able to be in the sound, um, mm -hmm. in the, the recording studio with JK when we were doing his part for mm -hmm. a couple of days. So that was nice because we were in person. Um, but we knew that we were going to have to come up with a different way to do it on set. And so what we did, we did these Zoom rehearsals, like five of them, um, with JK and Ryan beforehand so that they, they were running the entire movie on Zoom. 
Um, and they understood the cadence and how they were going to be delivering things. And then we recorded JK's performance, had an actor on set with us who was actually our producer, Morgan Peter Brown, who had memorized JK's cadence, his delivery of the mm -hmm. lines. So it was like having him on set. It was his exact performance, even though he was not there. And what a voice performance. You know, JK has, he can be soothing and menacing at the same time. That was exactly my casting directive. When we were starting to look at people who we wanted to go out to for that role, it was this idea of he can't start talking and sound like he's going to eat your face. Like we heard <laughs> a lot of the casting options that we heard when we started shopping the script around were people who were great actors, but it was very much like Ron Perlman's where like as soon yeah. as they start talking, it sounds like it's got an aggressive tone to mm -hmm. it. It's got a, a real um, baritone to it. And we kept saying, no, it, it has right. to sound like the guy who would feasibly in the be in the bathroom with you. Right. And it can't sound scary or else he's just going to fucking bolt. It just has to sound like a guy who's going to be in a bathroom that sounds friendly, yeah. but, that you but, don't want to break the social norms on. But, and, and part of it, it's, it's sometimes it's hard to dissociate a famous voice mm -hmm. like, like JK, whether it's from his, his, uh, ad his insurance ad advertisements or whether it's... Uh, Oz, which where I first encountered his work, yeah, and where he was totally scary, and uh, you know, but he's but he's kind of he has he has a lot of lovability to it, but if but he has that switch, yeah, that you can flip. And we, I had seen him in so much stuff. I was actually um, I was working at Blumhouse while Whiplash was getting made, so mm -hmm. I knew him from that and how aggressive he was in that. And that for me, Whiplash was his scariest role oh, yeah. by far. But what really sold us on him was my daughter, she was like maybe six or seven at the time, was watching My Little Pony's Friendship is Magic constantly, <laughs> and he's a voice on it, and he is so good, and it would always take me a second to go like, wait, is that J.K. Simmons? And just the versatility of going from My Little Pony to Whiplash, I was like, he's perfect for this. Oh, that was magic. Um, and Ryan, his he is a handsome lad. Yes. And he... He has, you know, if you if you Google Ryan Quanton, it's usually without a shirt and he's on a beach right. looking fantastic. But he he turned himself into kind of a pathetic schlubby guy, and uh, just you know, Ryan, if you hear this, uh, the scariest things we did our annual Thingy Awards. You were the winner of the best actor in a leading role in a horror film for 2022. <laughs> It's amazing. And we also the glorious was on uh, was a nomination for our Abbott and Costello Award for best use of comedy in a horror movie. So Aww, we have thank you. We had you know and then, and so we we survey all of our all of our contacts and everybody gets so it's like a you know 150 voters on this. So it's yeah that was you know it was a surprise because it was a it was a great year in horror last year. Uh, glorious was. Terrific, and, and and so I'm I'm really I'm I can't wait to see the big audience yeah. reaction in the hall. No, I got Ryan um, when we started talking about casting out that role. J.K. came first, and then we started talking about casting Wes. And I kind of reached out to some of my close director friends with like any recommendations on this. And um, our producer Barbara Crampton had just done Joe Lynch's Creep Show episode with Ryan, oh. and so I'd reached out to Barbara, and I had both reached out to Joe. And Joe has a film here in the festival, Suitable yeah. Flesh. He's a friend. Terrific. Film. Yeah, great. And Barbara's uh, Barbara's actually in that, and it's the same yeah. company. It's yeah. AMP, well, um, the same production company as Glorious. Barbara Crampton never ceases to amaze me. She's found the fountain of youth, 
and like the the her career has just gotten on this rocket trajectory through production. Oh yeah. Uh, and she is she's a powerhouse in the industry now after being essentially kicked to the curb for in in her forties. She and um, Bob Portal over at Amp, I just love them. They mm-hmm. were my producers on Glorious. I will. I've got other films lined up with them now that got mm-hmm. delayed because of the strike, but we're back up and running now. So right. I will continue working with them. They're just amazing people. Um, but it was Joe Lynch who had recommended, hey, have you guys tried Ryan Quanton? Mm-hmm. And then I got on a Zoom with him and as soon, again, to height of the pandemic, like we, there was right. no way we were allowed to go for coffee. Coffee wasn't even open at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, we got on a Zoom together and it was immediately clear that he got the role. Like he understood mm-hmm. The nuances of it that Wes had to be likable throughout yeah. most of the right. film, that he couldn't be creepy from the beginning, that he, he had to be kind of... But he's tragic. Yeah, tragic. It had to be kind of the, the every man who, you know, is down on his luck, but you don't hate yeah. him. And that there had to be a comedy to it, but that he kind of uses comedy as his, like, his shield against the world. And so Ryan immediately got all of that. Right. For, and if any of you have fears of, of bathrooms, this is, this is the ultimate... Locked in a bathroom in a situation that you really don't want to be in. It, it, is, the, it is a real challenge. Won't spoil anything, but uh, for those of you who haven't caught Glorious, go check it out. And it's on Shudder now? Yeah, it's yeah. on Shudder, AMC+. Plus. I'm sure we're on Amazon as yeah, well. Yeah, I, I believe Amazon, but yeah. uh, you know, we like to su- support Shudder around here. Yeah, so. me too. Um, also want to touch base on a presentation that you gave us yesterday. Now, I know that you know, we only have a few minutes here, but the... Uh, what is cosmic horror? I think is we we have in uh, in one of our podcasts in the hundred something, but we did our cosmic horror edition, and it is one of those things that it's it's this amorphous, hard to identify, but it's you know it's kind of like once you see it you know it, and 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 it is you pointed out that it is becoming a glorious is certainly a, a, a cosmic horror film mm-hmm. and this whole festival is about cosmic horror yep so what what are the key components that 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 you were seeing or the, the the defining elements of cosmic so what I teach in my class when I teach this in horror and I could do an entire class just on cosmic horror I mean there are entire yeah. books on what is cosmic horror cosmic horror at its the short form like the log line of it is it's the fear of the unknown yep. but that's like stupid hard to describe because yep. it's the unknown like yep. I'm just scared of that which I don't know and it also does not sum up what cosmic horror is like I don't know what I'm going to have for lunch but I'm not scared of it right. and so it's, <laughs> it's kind of you know pushing beyond that and so the five things that I I talked about in my keynote last night where, oh, oh gosh, can I even remember them off the top of my head? I can give you some of the, the greatest hits of it. Like it's yeah. indescribable that you're dealing yeah. with something that's indescribable. It's something that is bigger than you and it usually describes kind of humanity's place in the world, like how we got here mm-hmm. or you thought that this is what the universe is. Right. This is what it actually is. It, uh, to me, one of the things that it does is um, it addresses, you know, the the, the the biggest questions of mankind that religion often dealt with. Mm-hmm. But this, I think it, it came of age at a time when science was ascendant. Yeah. And uh, now you, the, the whole, you know, the, the world is not flat, but what is the universe? Yeah. You know, and what happens to you after you die? Why am I here? How does a centipede work? Yeah. You know, there are some things that you just, that you, that, that these things that, that crawl through your brain that sort of tickle at the perimeter of your thinking, 
that's to me that's you know cosmic horror. It's and all the like you described it as the in, uh, indescribable, but you know to break out the Lovecraftian dictionary, inscrutable, inexplicable, uncanny, yeah. unknowable, unseen, all these uns and ins in the language. Completely cosmic. And a big one for me is that there's a certain sense of at the end of most cosmic horrors, your characters are either usually left insane or they just have to kind of abandon themselves to the void. They have to abandon themselves to whatever truth they have learned along the way. And so those are kind of my favorite ones where we kind of have the ones where it's like sheer insanity at the end or like yep. full cheese the beyond where it's like, yes. well, I guess we'll just wander this hellscape for eternity yeah. <laughs> now because what the hell else are we going to do? Yeah, I, you know, Heaven and hell in, in a large way, yeah. cosmic. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that you can, there's, you know, notable films that my favorite stuff, Annihilation. John, I love Annihilation. And then you can go goofy like John dies at the end. Mm-hmm. Go The Mist. You can go Videodrome. Yeah, I talk. Um, I t- spoke in the panel last night about how it doesn't always have to be massive either. If we're looking at something like, um, you know, Annihilation, we're literally looking at the end of the world, or there's small things like Donnie Darko, where it's cosmic yeah. horror, but it's all taking place inside yeah. of one guy's head. Um, and and same with like John dies at the end, like yeah. it's cosmic horror, but it's one guy's head right. um, suddenly seeing this other kind of realm of existence mm-hmm. and trying to find his friend who may or may not be dead. And right. yeah, like I love how kind of yeah. big or small it can go. And I know that you've done a lot of collaborations with Benson and Moorhead. Yeah. And they, they are carrying, carrying the banner uh, ar- around for a fantastic, smart cosmic horror going from very small to vast. Yeah. And, and that's, part of that, that, that's part of the fun of what they do. Um, and they do it on these really tight budgets, but they do it so well. They do, and I first met them back after they had done their first film, which is Total Cosmic Horror Resolution, which mm-hmm. they had done on a shoestring buzz budget with one of my favorite producers who I'll work with anytime, Dave Lawson. And yeah, like they just, they get it. They understand that it can be, it can be, you know, Guillermo del Toro's 300 million at the Mountains of Madness, or yep. it can be 300,000 in one location. And yep. it, Something in the dirt. Yeah, that's why it's so, I don't even think that one cost 300, that was their, their pandemic project that was an incredibly tight and such yeah. a wonderfully executed where, film. Where math is madness. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, that's that's the that's the twelve year old me going, Yeah, math, I don't that's that's inexplicable. Yeah, that's the forty year old me. Um, so. <laughs> so yeah that the um the love of the the this particular genre and your your belief that it is going that it's on a, in an upward trajectory that because of what we've gone through could you can you explain yeah, that yeah so bit? we we've been through a lot of shit in the past couple of years mm-hmm. I mean like society across the board I mean like before I start bemoaning everything but like you know usually when we see what we see in cosmic horror is people feeling like they've lost control of the lives that they think they had. And that's what we have right now. I mean, the pandemic was the ultimate loss of control. It was the ultimate kind of existential existence of what the hell am I even doing here? And even though that the pandemic has visibly ended, the forces of feeling like we've lost control, we still are dealing with a housing crisis. We still are dealing with a healthcare crisis. We're still dealing with environmental factors. Um, And that in itself, the environmental factors are very Lovecraftian because it's the idea of our free will has led us to our fate. And that is every Lovecraft story is, I've made decisions to continue reading this book you told me might might make me insane. And now I'm insane. So like your fate is sealed (laughs) because of your 
free right. will. And um, that is literally what we've done to the environment. Like this is where yeah. it's it's 95 outside in Portland right yeah. now, y'all, in October. Yeah. So we're, we're not complaining, but, yeah. the, but the hurricane coming through LA, we had fires in, in Canada. LA. Oh yeah, it's you been. Know, it's, it is a wild, it's uh, been a wild ride, time. and you know it makes you re reposition your thinking on on the way the world's working i've also grown really fascinated by um it's not a new trend we had like dribbles of it before but we've seen a lot of liminal horrors take off within yeah. the last year and those are relatively new as kind of a subgenre. before it they just existed like oh it's experimental but now kind of slapping a liminal horror title on them and it feels like a subgenre of a subgenre because it's coming out of cosmic horror but it's different than cosmic horror. It basically exists in the insanity that occurs post-cosmic horror. So mm -hmm. if you look at something like Skinnamarink or yes. Outwaters, they're basically after the climax. You are wandering the nihilistic void of nothingness mm -hmm. that you are left with after a cosmic horror. So right. they're, they're kind of in that same wheelhouse and feel like it, but it's kind of after the world's already exploded. Yeah, Skinnamarink one of the most amazing micro, I mean, you talk about micro, micro yeah. budgets. That, that little thing was astounding and, it, it, and it, it caused quite a stir here. It's a, it's a, it's a divisive movie because it's hard, hard, uh, hard to get a handle on. Yeah, most of my, my college students found it to be terrifying and most of what you're staring at during the movie is like wainscoting right. um, and corners of rooms and things like that and yeah. doorknobs and um, so it's not it, it that's exactly what it is it's like wandering this endless void of nothingness um, with knowing that a nightmare is present but not experiencing it in full yet you're just yeah. wandering awesome yeah. Well, I know we got to get you on stage here in a second. I do. So, you know, I wanted to, to say thank you so much for taking your time to join us. Yeah. Um, and where can people find you? I am on socials at Rebecca McKendry. I'm just, yeah, always my name. Um, and so I am on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter occasionally. I don't mm. use that one very much anymore, to be no, honest. I, uh, it got, it yeah, talk no. about a desolate landscape. Um, <laughs> and then also TikTok, although I'm not okay. as savvy with my TikToks as I am with my grams. So, yeah. yeah. And then you can also listen to my podcast, Colors of the Dark, which is on the Fangoria Podcast Network. And then, um, yeah, I've got movies coming. I can talk about the book we have coming out. My oh, husband oh. and I have a book coming out um, next spring from Simon & Schuster. It is a YA horror series okay. um, called Pretty Evil, and it's Lovecraftian. We did YA horror for 16-year-old girls, Lovecraft style. Fantabulous. So, yeah, that's coming out um, sometime summer, spring of 2024. Okay. Well, uh, thank you once again. And uh, this is Eric Lee at The Scariest Things live in Portland and getting ready to see glorious on the big screen. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you.